In your Bible, the book of Psalms, number 33, and as soon as you find it, go to Proverbs chapter 14, two passages that deal with national spiritual health, national spiritual health. The message is the critical importance of religious liberty, the critical importance of religious liberty. In Psalm number 33 and verse 12, blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. And I didn't ask you to stand, did I? Okay, you can stand on the next one here then, okay? We stand, it's not going to be a long-standing thing here with one verse, but it's, we want to show our reverence to the Word of God. So Psalm 33, 12, I'll read it again. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, and the people whom he hath chosen for his own inheritance. And then in Proverbs 14, And verse 34, righteousness exalteth a nation. Stop and think about that. It is righteousness that exalts the nation, not its wealth. Righteousness exalteth a nation. But sin is a reproach to any people. You may be seated, and thank you. the critical importance of religious liberty. We're constantly being told that the people who founded America came here for reasons other than to practice their Christian faith. We're told they came for wealth, and some did. We're told that they came for adventure. It's just a new world out there, and many people were attracted to coming and being a part of the settlement of that virgin nation. And then many came to escape. They had problems in their lives in Europe, and so they came here to escape their problems, to get a new start. So we constantly are told that religious freedom was not one of the primary reasons that they came. There's even a book and a television series, I think, in several parts Then a curriculum that has been printed to put in our public schools is called the 1619 Project. And in it, it says that the War of Independence was not fought for religious and personal liberty. The War of Independence was fought to protect the slave trade. And so we have all of these multivaried opinions coming at us today that minimize the role of the Christian faith in the beginning of our nation. So I wanted to talk to you along those lines today because I think everybody here understands that the potential right now in this country for infringing upon our religious liberty. So number one today, I want to establish with you that America was founded by Christians who were seeking religious freedom founded by Christians, and they were seeking religious freedom when they came. There are thousands and thousands of documents, of personal letters, public records, personal testimonies, and so on, that testify that religious liberty 
And the freedom to practice the Christian faith was the primary reason that the pilgrims came to America in the first place. In 1620, you know the story, 102 English passengers got on a ship called the Mayflower. There was a crew of 30 people, making a total of 132 to begin the voyage. They sailed from Plymouth, England, on the Mayflower, a small ship that was only 115 feet long. After a voyage of 10 weeks, they landed on the tip of Cape Cod in Massachusetts, and that the date was November the 21st, 16 and 20. Before they came ashore, they drew up a document, and it was the first official legal document that was ever drawn up in America. It's called today the Mayflower Compact, a compact being an agreement uh, between the people, a covenant, if you will, between the people and also between them and God. It begins with these words, for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith in the name of God, amen. How in the world could anybody read that, those words and say that the purpose of people coming to America was not religious freedom? For the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith in the name of God, Amen. One of their leaders was a man named John Winthrop. And John Winthrop uh, wrote out in a, a document a little bit later, a few months or years later, he wrote about his vision for America, what he wanted this new country to be. He described it in these words made very famous by President Ronald Reagan. And Winthrop said, my vision for America is that America be a city on a hill. And he was referencing, of course, Matthew's gospel chapter 4, where Christ said that a city on a hill, its light cannot be hidden. If it's built upon the top of a mountain, it's going to be seen. And so the vision of John Winthrop was that America be seen, that it be seen among the nations of the world as a Christian light beaming the gospel of Jesus Christ across the nations of the world. And there are hundreds of quotes. I have a book written by a man who will be coming here and speak for us in September, and it's got hundreds of quotes from leaders of America during that period of time about the importance of the Christian faith in the life of the nation. He quotes George Washington. The liberty enjoyed by the people of these states of worshiping Almighty God, agreeable to their consciences, is not only among the choicest of their blessings, but also of their rights. Notice, he refers to the Christian faith, the worship of Almighty God, agreeable to their consciences, freedom of conscience. The Delaware State Constitution it was ratified on September the 21st, 1776. That would, be, that would be only two months after the Constitution of the United States had been passed. And look, look at that quote. Every person appointed to any office shall make and subscribe to the following declaration to wit, 
I do profess faith in God the Father and in Jesus Christ, His only Son, and in the Holy Ghost, one God, blessed forevermore, and I do acknowledge the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testament to be given by divine inspiration. (laughs) Man, that's a theological education in one little short statement there, isn't it? Now, I'm, I'm using this in the context of people are constantly telling us this nation was not founded with Christian principles in view. This nation was founded for people who were seeking wealth and people who had other motivations, and yet you read the official documents and it doesn't say that. Francis Marion, have you ever heard of him? A local man, huh? Born down in Berkeley County, fought a battle over here in the swamp around Pamplico. We named Marion County after him. He was in and out of these swamps. His army would come. They would fight against the British, and then they would disappear into the swamps. And so we know him today as the Swamp Fox, a local man, a general in the, Constitution, in the Continental Army under Washington, known today as the father of guerrilla warfare around the world. After the war was over, he served several terms in the South Carolina Senate in Columbia. And here's his statement. Who can doubt that God created us to be happy and thereto made us to love one another? It is plainly written as the gospel. The heart is sometimes so embittered that nothing but divine love can sweeten it. So enraged that devotion can only become it. And so broken that it takes all the forces of heavenly hope to raise it. In short, the religion of Jesus Christ is the only sure and controlling power over personal sin. Again, these men, this is a general in the army. He sounds like a preacher. He sounds like a theologian. And people say, well, America wasn't founded on Christian principles. Well, somebody ought to go tell Francis Marion, huh? It sounded like he believed that. Listen to that phrase. In short, the religion of Jesus Christ is the only sure and controlling power over sin. God created us to be happy and to love one another. And he was talking about the culture of the nation at that time. This one to me was fascinating when I discovered that in 1846, a few years before the Civil War, down in the city of Charleston, a man named S.A. Benjamin, the the text said he willfully broke the city ordinance that said no person, now this was a city ordinance right here in Charleston, no person or persons whatsoever shall publicly expose to to sale or sell any goods, wares, or merchandise whatsoever on the Lord's day can't sell anything, can't be open for business in Charleston, South Carolina. That's in 1846. So the case went to the Supreme Court. The South Carolina Supreme Court delivered its decision, and I quote from the decision. Listen to this. Uh, Talk about a Christian statement, quote, the Lord's day, the day of the resurrection, is to us who are Christians the day of rest after finishing a new creation. 
It is the day. So he's attributing the Sabbath of rest to honoring the creation. So that means the city council in Charleston at that time and the Supreme Court in the state of South Carolina were not evolutionists. They believed in creation. And so the purpose of the Sabbath is to honor that creation. And then they continue. It is the day of the first visible triumph over death, hell, and the grave. (laughs) It was the birthday of the believer in Christ to who and through whom it opened up the way which by repentance and faith leads us unto everlasting life and eternal happiness. On that day, we rest, and to us it is the Sabbath of the Lord. It's decent observance in a Christian community is that which ought to be expected. <laughs> did you, did do you catch the significance of that? I'm sure you do. It, it just made my mouth drop open. It's decent observance, meaning you honor the Sabbath day, and it refers to Charleston in a Christian community is that which ought to be expected. Now, I know we call it the holy city, and I've been down there, and it ain't so holy everywhere. But I can tell you, in 1848, they believed they were a Christian community. It's astounding to me that across the country, in the university classrooms, and in the media, and uh, everywhere in our culture today, oh, America was not founded with any kind of Christian base. Well, don't tell the people of Charleston that in 1848. They certainly believed that. And the country had been in existence for over 75 years. John Quincy Adams, one of our founding fathers, the highest glory of the American Revolution was this. It connected in one indissoluble bond the principles of civil government and the principles of Christianity. John Quincy Adams says that we weren't emphasizing a wall of separation. We believed at that time that the principles of civil government and the principles of Christianity could come together in a nation, and that's how he described our country at that time. Patrick Henry is one of my favorites of the founders. He said, it cannot be emphasized too strongly or too often, that this great nation was founded not by religionists, but by Christians. So he makes the case that it was the Christians who founded the nation. He said, not on religions, but on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Man, would it be refreshing to hear somebody in national life who had the stature of Patrick Henry in his day talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Talk about the heart of the nation being the Christian principles that we we have espoused. In 1782, the U.S. Congress issued this statement. The Congress of the United States approves and recommends to the people the Holy Bible for use in the schools. 180 degrees opposite. Now we've got a court that pulled the Bible out of the 
schools in 1962. But the Congress approves and recommends to the people the Holy Bible for use in the schools. You can summarize it like this. I've given you a bunch of quotes. The reason I have is I didn't want to just offer one quote that I might pick out of the air somewhere. I want you to see there are hundreds of quotes. There's personal letters that these founders were passing back and forth between themselves. There were official declarations of states. In fact, every single state constitution, all 50 states now, but back then it wasn't that many, whatever it was, 36 or 40, however many states we had at that point in time, every single one of them referenced Almighty God in the state constitution. Not one left out God's name in, 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 their, in their governing, governing document. And so today, we have so long been stripped of the very ideas that America had a Judeo-Christian base. We are told over and over and over, this was not founded in any kind of way with, with a nation with religious liberty being at the heart of it. We're told that over and over and over. And, and I, I, I've talked to people, even fellow church members, and I'd say something about uh, religious liberty, and you know our Judeo-Christian base. Oh, but preacher, we weren't founded as a Christian nation. No, we weren't founded as a Christian nation if you mean that everybody in the nation was a Christian. Listen, everybody in the nation of Israel was not a practicing Jew. Did you know that? Do you know that when they left Egypt and came into the promised land that they were all idol worshipers? In the book of Joshua, chapter 24, Joshua says, on the other side of the crossing of the Jordan, you served other gods. It was a whole nation of unbelievers, and yet God called them his people. And in America today, or in America at its founding time, everybody wasn't a Christian. Not even half of them probably were what we would call born-again Christians, but you know what they were? The leadership of the country and the, influent, the, the institutions of the country all the influence was Christian at that time. You could live here and be a wicked and ungodly person, but you couldn't live here and not be confronted with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They believed the God of the Bible was the one true God, and they believed the Bible was His Word. They believed that God was the Creator they were not evolutionists. And you say, well, evolution didn't come along until, uh, you know, Darwin, and that was in the middle of the next century. So there wasn't any belief in evolution until Dar uh, Darwin. Oh, you're wrong on that. The first evolutionists were the Greeks, the ancient Greeks, the Greek city-states. Plato and Aristotle and those fellows, they were, they were for the most part evolutionists. And so you see, evolution was a very popular doctrine. It's being spread even back then. But these people believe that God created, and so we read in our own uh, Declaration of Independence about God being referred to as the Creator. They believe the laws of nature were created by God. They believed our rights are natural rights. Get this again today, fellow citizens and Christians. Our rights were given to us by God. They do not come from the government. If man can give you rights, he can take them away. 
But natural rights, rights given by God, cannot be ever taken away. They can be abridged. They can be even violated. They cannot ever be taken away. My rights that God has given me to life and to liberty and to the pursuit of happiness, among others. Alexis de Tocqueville is often quoted about his quote that when America is no longer good, uh, she'll no longer be great. But he said a lot of things. He wrote an entire book about his visit to America. He was a Frenchman. He was one of the world's best-known historians at that point in time, and he came here in the 1830s. And here's what he wrote about America. The religious atmosphere of the country was the first thing that struck me on arrival in the United States. For Americans, the ideas of Christianity, there he's naming it, and liberty are so completely commingled that it is almost impossible to get them to conceive of one without the other. Religion should therefore be considered, listen to this, Religion should therefore be considered as the first of their political institutions. From the start, politics and religion agreed, and they have not since ceased to do so. End of quote. Alexis de Tocqueville, 1830. The ideas of Christianity and liberty are so completely commingled it's almost impossible to get them to conceive of one without the other. I tell you, America was founded by Christians seeking religious and political freedom. Somebody's, in fact, a lot of people made the observation. The difference between the United States and Canada and Latin America is that the French came to Canada and the Spanish came to Central and South America looking for gold. But the pilgrims came to North America looking for God. And there's the difference. Looking for gold, South America and Canada, looking for God, freedom to worship God, freedom, personal freedom, religious freedom, political freedom at the founding of America. Number two today, these beliefs led to guarantees of religious liberty in our Constitution. Because these people came looking for religious freedom and religious liberty, they put within all of our documents these ideas. And so we still have them today in our Constitution in the Declaration of Independence. Now, we sometimes forget that this nation existed for over 150 years as 13 British colonies. We weren't America. We weren't the United States of America. We weren't, we weren't one nation under God until 1776. But you calculate that uh, the pilgrims came in 1620, and so you subtract that from 1776. You've got about 156 years there in which the nation endured several generations of people were born and died, and they were colonists. They were members of the, really, they were citizens of England. 
though they lived here in these 13 colonies of the United States. And in all of the European countries from whence they came, they had a state church. They call it the established church. And so in England, it was the Church of England, or the Episcopal Church, we would call it. If you went up to Scandinavia and Germany, why, it would be the Lutheran Church. If you went to Italy and uh, some of those uh, nations there, France, for example, it would be the Roman Catholic Church. If you went down to Greece, it would be the Orthodox Church. And so all of these had an established church. And established means it's the official church of the nation. If you're born there, you are automatically a member of that church. And also you pay, you pay for the church through your taxes. You, they collect your, the tax man collects your, collect your tithes, if you will. And this was true in America for 156 years. These established churches had tremendous power because every person born in that state had to be automatically a member of that church. For example, if you were born in South Carolina, the official church, the established church in South Carolina was the Episcopal Church. And so you see there's a great, great history of Episcopalianism in in South Carolina, especially in the Charleston area. Uh, which was the first place, of course, that people came. And so all the colonies followed that European model. Each one of them adopted an official church. In the South, it was Episcopal. In Maryland, it was Roman Catholic. In uh, New England, it was the congregational churches. And uh, wherever you went in the country, there there was an official church. So the colonies followed that model. So after the Constitution was signed, The framers added to it what we call the First Amendment, which we all ought to be familiar with. And the First Amendment was given by them because they were afraid that we would revert to those established churches. And that was their greatest fear. We do not want to have an official state establishment church. And so they wrote the First Amendment, which clarified their intentions regarding religious liberty. And so here it is, and everybody ought to memorize it. Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion. We call that the establishment clause. Congress, the nation, cannot make a law and establish any church. Aren't you thankful for that? Aren't you thankful today that our government has no authority to set up churches? Churches operate in a whole different sphere. Number two, the second clause of that is the free exercise clause, we call it. Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or the free exercise thereof. So I ought to be able to exercise my faith, to proclaim it. We ought to be able to meet and worship whenever, however, wherever we want to do so, as long as it doesn't infringe on the rights of other people. And then right behind it, it put the freedom of speech. So the whole amendment is Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of any religion, or it can't prohibit the free exercise thereof, or abridge the freedom of speech. And those three things, My, 
Those three things are worth dying for, literally, in the life of a nation. And we have that freedom, that right, because these men and these women sacrificed for us. They thought in England every citizen is required to be a member of the church. If you're an atheist, it doesn't matter who you are, you are a member of the Church of England. You're required to do it as a part of being a citizen. And we want no part of that. We want all religions to have the freedom and the opportunity to come and worship God according to their conscience. Now, I'm thankful for that. I, I don't believe what other religions believe, but I certainly do believe they have the right to believe it. And so today, we glory in the fact that our founders provided for us they so believed in religious liberty, they guaranteed it in the Constitution and especially in the First Amendment. But lastly, we ought to remember that religious liberty is always under attack. And boy, it is under attack today, perhaps as it's never been in the history of the nation. There are forces in our country who have great political power today. And those forces hate all religion, but they particularly hate Christianity. I could give you a list longer than my arm of Supreme Court decisions that have been made that have infringed on religious liberty. All believers in religious liberty believe that. And yet a liberal court of 30 or 40, 50 years ago made ruling after ruling, and interestingly, most of them involved public education. Isn't that strange? No, it's not strange. They were doing everything they could to sanitize the public schools of Christianity to remove every single vestige of it. And so in 1962, they removed prayer from our schools. In 1963, they removed the Bible. A few years later, they prohibited the posting of the Ten Commandments on school classroom walls. Don't we need the Ten Commandments up in front of the kids? The basis of our morality, the basis of how to treat other people, but they, the, the court removed it. They said it was unconstitutional to open or close a high school graduation with prayer. They said that a war memorial placed on a public highway out in Eugene, Oregon, could not put a cross on the war memorial in a case called Lowe versus County of Eugene, 1969. And since then, there's continued attempts to force Christians to violate their, their religious belief. For example, medical personnel in some places in the country, have been required to participate in abortion procedures against their Christian convictions. A nurse is told, if you don't assist in this procedure, you lose your job, an infringement upon that person's religious freedom. Let me tell you the story of Jack Phillips. Some of you might know his name. He's living today in Lakewood, Colorado. Jack Phillips was sued because he operated a bakery in Lakewood, and two of his regular customers he had known for years came and wanted him to bake 
a wedding cake. He was famous for that in that area to bake a cake for a same-sex wedding, and he refused. He is an evangelical Christian. He said, I can't do that. Um, think a lot of you folks, your regular customers of mine, but if I were to bake that cake and put two men on the top of that cake, I would be obliquely at least endorsing what you're doing. I can't do it. And so they sued him and took him to court. And the court found for, for them in Colorado, and then it was kicked up to the, through the court system. And it finally went to the Supreme Court. And thank God the Supreme Court sided with him and said he can't be forced to bake a cake that is against his own personal religious convictions. So it found for religious liberty. Within a week, a trans woman walked into his place and demanded he bake a cake, a transition cake. And he said, I can't do it. And he's already just spent hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal fees to fight his previous case. And so she sued him. He sued him. The trans woman is a man. So the man sued him because he refused to bake the transition cake. And now that case is winding its way. And across the country, they're making appeals for financial help for the man. So this other side so hates our Christian convictions that they're just repetitively going after Mr. Phillips. Then there's Lori Smith. Lori is a Christian website designer, also in Colorado. I don't know. I guess they're smoking too much weed out there or something. And so Lori is a Christian website designer, and she's been sued for refusing to design a website for people planning same-sex marriages. And that worked its way through the court. And if you heard the news this week on Thursday or Friday, the Supreme Court, to God be the glory, overturned the case and said she does not have to do it. So we had this long string through the 60s and 70s and 80s of cases that were infringement upon our religious liberties. Maybe things are going to change and turn back. It sure would be wonderful if they were to do so. But we have a new threat, and the new threat to our Christian liberties. And I want to hurry, but boy, I don't want to gloss over the big threat right now to Christian liberty is wokeism. The philosophy of woke. Actually, wokeism is a form of a religion. It is a worldview. It is a way of looking at life and interpreting life just like Christianity is. But this philosophy is anti-American. All they do is harshly criticize the nation in our Christian beginnings. Wokeism is anti-Christian. Wokeism is anti-capitalism. And wokeism often turns into anti-parent. And how many homes today have been destroyed, families damaged irreparably because a child goes to college and buys into the woke philosophy 
and comes back and blames mom and dad in that previous generation for the circumstances of today. George Barna is the most well-known of the Christian pollsters. And here's a quote from him recently. Public secular college is now so hostile to Christianity, listen to this, parents, that 70 to 80% of our Christian youth reject the faith after the first year. I say it again, George Barnum, public secular colleges and universities are so hostile to Christianity that 70 to 80% of Christian youth who go there reject the faith after the first year. These are the forces of darkness. These are the forces that would take away your religious your Christian liberties. They reveal the wicked heart of man. They reveal the lack of salt and life, light in our culture today. They reveal the desperate, desperate need for the pulpits of America to wake up and sound the note and go back to preaching the gospel instead of social justice. They reveal the desperate need for Christians to take a stand in whatever you do and wherever you are, and it might cost you to take that stand. Thank God the founding fathers didn't ask, what is the price, before they took their stand. They put it all on the line. They gave their lives, their fortunes, and their sacred honors That's what they pledged. Most of them died broke. Many of them died. Others died or lived in sickness and poverty. They laid it all on the line so that you and I could sit here this morning and enjoy freedom and religious liberty. It's been well said, eternal vigilance vigilance is the price of liberty. And the question is, will we be vigilant? Eternal vigilance is the price of liberty. Our heads are bowed.